0: Dateline, 24th of February, 2014.
1: Well, g'day, folks, and welcome back to the Australia Desk for episode 288. And uh, Grant, wasn't that some great information there on the P8 Poseidon from David? You know, it's a real Poseidon adventure this week.
0: Oh, mate, watch out for that. I I hear the uh, original Poseidon adventure sort of wallowed like an F-35
1: turned turtle and sank. Yes, well, you see now, here I am buttering up David and you go and upset him with those cracks
0: about the F-35. I didn't mean it like that, but, you know, I'm really excited about it. About the P 8A. Eh? We've uh, got, uh, it looks like, an order confirmed for eight of them with the RAAF, mate.
1: Yes, uh, eight confirmed with options for four more, as is, uh, is announced this week. But, uh, you know, yes. I don't know that this comes as any surprise, really. I mean, they're saying these, the first aircraft will be delivered in 2017, with all aircraft fully operational by 2021. And uh, this is in line with uh, some outcomes of the uh, Defence White Paper review that was released recently. Now, Grant, it's not really a surprise, is it? I mean, no. the current uh, fleet of AP 3C Orions, that are operated down there at RAF Base Edinburgh in South Australia. have uh, been in service for decades and uh, it's, I don't uh, think it's any surprise that they're slated for retirement.
0: They're getting a bit longer than the tooth. There's been a lot of effort to uh, keep them uh, up to date and still functioning, but we've been hanging out for the news on the Poseidons for a while. It's great that they've confirmed date and also added the four options. That was a bit of news to me. Uh, but the big news for me, though, is... Over the last few years, it's been on again, off again about the um, high altitude, long endurance UAVs. Uh, There's a chance we may actually get seven of them and the Triton is looking pretty good for that. Uh, What more can one say but BAM's baby, Broad Area Maritime Surveillance?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I think that uh, is a really logical choice for Australia anyway with such large borders, particularly to our north and I guess our northwest, uh, that need watching over for various and sundry reasons. And uh, I think this is a really good solution for the Royal Australian Air Force and for the country in general so hopefully they uh, you know from my point of view and this, this will make all people that listen to and produce the uav digest podcast happy uh, i think it's a great idea
0: I, I tend to agree mate uh but the actual number of uavs that we get depends on how many p8s uh the more p8s we get the fewer uavs we get but uh yeah the, the triton and bam's They really are designed to integrate with the P-8 Poseidon. So uh, it it just makes sense to get them. It really does. Uh, Yeah, as you said, our geography, our great wide open areas, both uh, inland and oceanic, and uh, the P-8 and the Triton,
1: yeah, linking up reasonably well together. And continuing a tradition for the Royal Australian Air Force where we use US Navy-based aircraft in our Air Force, as as yeah, well, is the case with our Hornets. Yeah,
0: well, classics and supers. Yeah, there is always that.
1: But, uh, mate, you know, something that uh, is also
0: a bit of a tradition is um, Qantas grabbing lots of headlines, and they're doing it again, uh, the, the ongoing stoush between Qantas and the government. And, uh, you know, as Borghetti says, you've got a company here that's been making profits for decades, has billions of dollars in the bank, they're the biggest in the, all their markets, they they lead the markets, they have one half year of bad news where they're actually making a loss in the first half of the year, and suddenly it's Chicken Little and the sky is falling.
1: Yeah, it's really an ongoing game of brinkmanship here between Alan uh, Joyce's board there at Qantas and the government. Of course, they're wanting the Australian government to uh, back all of their debts. Uh, the government, uh, you know, is sort of looking at uh, perhaps options to change the uh, provisions of the Qantas Sale Act that prevent wholesale foreign ownership of the airline. Now Grant, you and I were talking about this a subject uh, before we started recording. I don't know that it really bothers me too much if, uh, you know, other uh, foreign companies come in and buy big shares in Qantas. I mean, you know, Virgin Airways is set up that way here in Australia and no one bats an eyelid at that. Yeah, well, that's
0: because that's the domestic side of Virgin Airways that is uh, almost 100% foreign owned if it wanted to be. Uh, it can be, like Tiger Air is, uh, but the Virgin International is owned as a separate holding company. So uh, that would that has the limitation of, I believe it is 49% foreign controlled. So if you're an international flag carrier on behalf of Australia, you cannot be foreign controlled. So in the interest of Qantas and the Qantas Sale Act, I say separate with a large brick wall international from domestic. That way domestic can be 100% owned by a foreign and international can get all the government support at once because, you know, okay, well, except for... Uh, Singapore and New Zealand and Virgin's International Arm, it's not really that much of a problem, uh, you know, they can be backed up that way because um, honestly, Qantas International is a bit of a second run player at the moment. Anyhow, uh, every other player, including British Airways, is tromping the crud out of them internationally. So they need all the help they can get. But I don't want to see our hard-earned tax dollars going to support and prop up all the bad decisions that Qantas has made with Jetstar International.
1: Well, it's interesting this week. In fact, uh, Qantas came out and announced uh, losses in the first half of the financial year uh, to the order- of about 300 million Australian dollars and this has prompted Alan Joyce to announce that he's looking at sacking, well depending on which report you read, anywhere between 1,000 and 3,000 more Qantas employees. So Their current workforce stands at about 35,000 people. You know Grant, um, frankly, I think I'll just put it out there, I think the first sacking should be Alan Joyce.
0: Damn straight mate. Joyce and the board, time to go. All I'm hearing is excuses, excuses, excuses and other people's problems. Yeah, I'm really unimpressed with their ability to manage. Uh, They have an over-dominating focus on the bottom line, and they do things just to save money, and they don't look at the big picture, and basically they're just destroying Qantas. For the last 10 years, Qantas has been on the way down, and these guys have just been pushing it harder and harder and harder.
1: And yeah, I think you're right, mate.
0: Bye-bye, Joyce.
1: Well, speaking of pieces of uh, Qantas that we can say bye-bye to, Grant, uh, I guess we can say bye-bye to the last 737-400 series in the Qantas fleet.
0: Yeah, well, it certainly looks like that, uh, the seven three seven four hundred. 400 v- VH Tango Juliet Sierra, one of the uh, last of the Australian Airlines aircraft,
1: has uh, retired.
0: And uh, were you able to tell what it's going to do next?
1: I'm not exactly sure, Grant. I know a number of uh, these aircraft have uh, made their way uh, back to the US to the the famous Boneyard, and I guess this one will probably end up going there too. Uh, Tango Juliet Sierra's last flight was from Canberra to Melbourne as Qantas Flight 819 and uh, yeah, uh, Tango uh, Juliet Sierra was the last uh, Australian Airlines uh, ordered aircraft, that is true, the fact the last 737-400 to be delivered in Australian Airlines colours, and uh, for those of you who've missed uh, many of our reports in the past, Australian Airlines, of course, if you're not familiar, was a Domestic Australian carrier that was uh, basically folded up into Qantas in April of 1994, and that's why if you look at the uh, tail code of this aircraft, it's a 737-476, not a 737-438, which it would have been had it been ordered in Qantas colours. There I go again, Grant. <laughs> Paching geek mode on. Oh yes, I could have mentioned that its uh, you know serial number is two double four double four, but hey, let's not go overboard, Grant. This aircraft entered service here in Australia in March 1993. So it's had a pretty good run, uh, 21 years, I guess. So uh, yeah, it's, it, it really is the end of an era and good to see as it pulled away from the uh, Canberra airport that it was given the traditional water salute by the uh, the airport fireys there. So yeah, there you go. The end of an era, but you know, Qantas still has a very large fleet uh, by Australian standards, of course, of 737s. It's just operating 800s now. That's the
0: one, mate. Uh, all 800 fleet, the commonality is king.
1: It certainly is. Now, Grant, uh, a bit of sad news just as we end up this uh, this week's report, and uh, with the news that we find here in an article in AustralianAviation.com.au that the founding commanding officer of the uh, Royal Australian Air Force Roulette's display team. Retired squadron leader Philip Dunn has uh, passed away.
0: That's right, mate. Uh, He passed away at the age of 79 in Canberra uh, just earlier this month. And uh, as you noted, he was their first commanding officer when they formed back with the Mackie MB-326, the uh, two-seat inline tandem jet trainer that we used to run before the Pilatus PC-9. So uh, he got the team up and running after it was. Uh, it grew out of the Red Sails and the Telstars, uh, our first ever uh, aerobatic teams, which were, which were flying the Vampires in the 1960s.
1: And, uh, you know, yeah, it harks back to I fond fonder memories of the roulettes. I've said it before and I'll say it again. They were a much more spectacular team when they were flying those Mackie jets. As cool an aircraft as the PC-9 is, if they had a, a roulette team made up of our current uh, training aircraft in the uh, Hawk 127s, I think it would be a much more spectacular team. Don't you think, Grant? I mean, if it's good enough for the All RAF, right. it's good enough for us.
0: Yeah, well, it'd have a little bit more punch, wouldn't it? That's for sure. But uh, it's not what we're doing our primary training on and uh, really the, the the Mackie was replaced by the uh, the PC-9, but in a way it was split into two. So you had the PC-9 and the Hawk for doing a bit more than what the Mackie could do. So, yeah, I, I'd just like to see a bunch of F-18 doing it out, honestly, uh, like we do occasionally at Avalon Airshow when uh, the RAF brings out their four-ship aerobatic display with the uh, F-18s.
1: Yes, I think that would be wonderful. Well, Grant, you and I will just have to make a uh, tilt at Parliament and become a joint defence ministers, and I think that'll happen. And I can be transport minister as well and have a railway line in every second street. There you
0: go, mate. Oh, there's a chance for me to get a job as a signalman yet.
1: Oh, yes, crikey. Well, there you go. Okay, no problem. Well, I better get out of the railways before then. But until then, I think <laughs> I'll stick to podcasting. Until next week, I'm Steve Fisher. Well, I'll be back. I don't know whether Grant will be talking to me. What do you think, mate?
0: Yeah, well, I think I might just have to give you the point, mate. I'm Grant McCarron. <laughs> Very cryptic. Cheers, folks. <laughs>